The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, hop off your virtual Bowflex machine and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 273 with guests Mike Azakar and John Cook, recorded live Tuesday, September 11th, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net. Training developers to work smarter. And now, bringing the Workflow Foundation Masterclass with Michael Stiefel on site for your development team. Online at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. Support is also provided by Developer Express, crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who says, to err is human, but to really screw up, you need a password. Carl Franklin. Hey, this is Carl Franklin. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's your old pal Carl here. Richard is in the Netherlands right now, and I know what you're thinking. Carl, you're in the Netherlands too, aren't you? Or you should be. Well, yeah, I should have been, but I'm not. Um, just let's put it this way. I'm never again flying out of Newark. <laughs> And we'll leave it at that, okay? So, um, Richard is not here for the intro, but he will be here for the, uh, for the interview, which is coming up in just a few minutes. In the meantime, let's get it started with Better Know a Framework. And for Better Know a Framework today, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read an email about the last Better Know a Framework, and uh, in a sense, it does the same thing. So this is from Matt Casto, and uh, he says, Hi, Richard and Carl. In show 272 with Scott Kate, the Better Know a Framework segment covered the splitter control. And while this control is great, .NET 2.0 introduced the split container control, which has two panel containers separated by a splitter. This eliminates most of the funky docking issues that you described. I also wanted to mention that while docking multiple controls, you can get around issues with uh, which control is left or above the other by changing the Z order of the controls. For instance, if you're docking both a tree view and a data grid view control to the left, and the tree view is showing up to the right of the grid, but you want it to the left, you can click on the tree view and select send to back, which will make it the last control in the docking order or the furthest to the left. Did you get that, folks? You have to send it back to move it right. Okay. Thanks for doing these shows. I started listening to .NET Rocks about a year ago, uh, starting with show number one, and I've since caught up. I'm not only listening during my commute, but while I'm mowing my lawn, which actually makes that chore fun. It's thanks to you guys that my interest in development was revitalized, and I love coding again. Keep the great shows coming, and I hope to see you at CodeMash this January. Well, thanks a lot, Matt. And uh, we'll send you out a .NET Rocks mug for sure. If you have any other comments or questions for us here at DNR, send them to uh, .NET Rocks at franklins.net. 
Uh, we do another show that uh, you may have heard of, DNR TV, which is the visual aspect of .NET Rocks. And coming up on DNR TV, our old friend Miguel Castro is going to be talking about and showing how to write custom ASP.NET providers. Hey, why not organize a lunch and learn once a week and get together with all your uh, your entire team and watch DNR TV once a week while you have pizza or something? Uh, a lot of people are doing that. It's a good idea. We fully support it. Hey, guess what? Shrinkster.com is coming back online. Uh, we mentioned this a while ago. Shrinkster.com is still uh, redirecting URLs that are in the database, but they had to stop accepting uh, new entries. And the reason was they didn't feel comfortable with uh, complaints that they got from people who got spammed or whatever by spammers using Shrinkster. Um, but, you know, we have a bigger stomach for that, uh, quite literally. A stronger stomach, too, is what I meant to say. But, hey, I'll go with a bigger stomach. And uh, we're taking over Shrinkster.com. Franklin's net is. So uh, that's coming back online soon. Also, I hope to reduce the delay uh, from five seconds to two seconds when uh, when it redirects. So that's good. And, of course, if you have any suggestions about uh, keeping the spammers out uh, above and beyond what we've done already, please send them along. Hey, guess what? Dev Connections is coming up in November, November 5th through 8th in Las Vegas. I'm going to be there. Richard's going to be there. We're doing a .NET Rocks Live. Uh, he's also going to do some run-as-radio stuff live. I believe he's going to do a run-as-radio with Greg. Uh, then, right after that, Richard is heading out to Barcelona. You see, TechEd Developer in Barcelona is happening that same week, November 5th through 9th, actually. But the week after that is the TechEd IT Forum, November 12th through 16th. And Richard is heading over there with Greg Hughes to do some stuff, and uh, we'll get shows out of that as well. If you want more information on TechEd Europe, go to www.mseventseurope.com slash TechEd. Sorry we couldn't shrinksterize that for you, but, uh, okay, rewind. All right, good. And, uh, TechEd Europe this year is sponsoring another .NET Rocks contest to get you interested in TechEd Europe. And for that, we're going to be giving away two LCD monitors of the 24-inch variety. And we have a contest going on. And if you go to, uh, .NET Rocks.com slash Barcelona, just like last year, you can enter in your personal details, give us a little demographic data, which we're going to share with Microsoft, and that's it, nobody else, uh, and then answer a question from last week's show. Uh, if you get that question right, you go in a pool. Every week, we're going to pick a winner for a Tom Bin brain bag, and on October 30th, we'll pick two grand prize winners for those LCD monitors. So, on to the contest. Last week's question was about a little utility that I wrote using the link to XML features of uh, VBNet Orcus. And uh, basically, I converted an XML file of a certain type to a CSV file. I wanted to know what type that was. The answer was it was an IMAP file. It was an IMAP address book. And I was looking for IMAP. We got a whole bunch of right answers. And we picked one at random. And the winner is a name I can barely pronounce, Kiran Kumar Mote from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Congratulations, Kiran. And uh, Tuscaloosa, by the way, is the last thing an elephant wants to hear from his Italian dentist. All right. <laughs> this week's question, folks. Listen up. How many copies were printed of Scott Cates' novel, Surveillance? You think you know the answer? Go to .netrocks.com slash Barcelona. And, uh, hey, one more announcement before we get to the show. Greg Brill from Infusion is still hiring people in New York if you want to take the New York tour. If you've got, uh, he's looking for a lot of people. If you've got .NET chops, ASP.NET chops, SharePoint experience, if you've got, uh, uh, if you want to work in Manhattan in a really interesting environment for a year, he'll fly you out there. He'll move you. He'll put you up in an apartment. He'll pay your rent for a year. It's pretty good, but you got to qualify. If you're interested in that story, go to shrinkster.com slash KH6. And now through the magic of radio, Richard is here and we can start the interview. Well, Richard, let's bring on Mike and John. Mike Azakar is a Microsoft Solutions architect for Sojeti Houston. 
Mike has been in the software game for over 14 years as of this recording. He also has the distinction of being one of the few Microsoft certified professionals whose only certification comes from a test that he helped to author, exam 70-510. Mike evangelizes Visual Studio Team System and works closely with both the Microsoft Houston office and the VSTS product team in Redmond. Recently, Mike competed in the Speaker Idol competition at TechEd and presented a Chalk Talk session on process templates in Orlando. Mike's blog can be found at michaelazakar.com slash blog. John Cook uh, works with Mike Azakar at Sojeti. He's an MVP for virtual machines. John is an author and speaker on SQL Server topics as well. Please welcome Mike Azakar and John Cook. Hi, guys. Hello. Good evening. Glad to have you on. Yeah, Mike, uh, you did very well at, in Speaker Idol. I mean, there was only one winner, but I, I remember you had some good comments and good scores. Yeah, thanks. If you look at my blog from that uh, after that uh, uh, show, I actually uh, have some pointers and some pictures to show what not to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought it was good, and we had yeah, a lot of fun you. anyway. Yeah, we did. Well, where shall we start, guys? Um, I, you know, uh, I have a friend, a developer who's over here showing me some stuff and, uh, looked at the clock and, oh, it's time for DNR. So when he heard that, uh, that we had a, an MVP for virtual machines, he asked me to ask you a question. Okay. So how can you increase video memory from eight megabytes in virtual PC? Well, that's a little bit of a problem. Uh, it's emulating a trio card. I forget the exact number. There's not a lot that you can do video-wise with virtual PC or virtual server. All right, so the answer is you don't. You don't. You don't. Okay. You're stuck. <laughs> You're stuck. <laughs> is, that, is that something that uh, that's on the list of things to do, or is it just the way it is? It's... In that bucket of well-known requests. Okay. Now, I guess, you know, you need to increase video RAM if you're going to be doing any slick graphics and things like that. But, you know, when I think about stuff I want to do in a virtual PC, playing World of Warcraft just isn't on that list. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of why would you want to increase video memory? Well, some people want to do that, but currently you need to set expectations with people using virtual server, virtual PC, that graphics-intensive applications are not well-suited to the current level of video emulation provided. That's just not what it's for. It's not what it's for. However, if you look at the virtual PC guy's blog, Ben Armstrong, he frequently writes about taking old games that, say, run only on Windows 98 or maybe even MS-DOS and getting those games ported to virtual PC and playing some of the classics. Oh, okay. Well, so there's enough memory for the old games. Yes, indeed there is. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I've got a game like that that I've been meaning to do something about someday. It was Transport Tycoon. Really only ever ran under DOS. I remember that game very well, actually. Yeah. That sounds like a perfect game for a virtual PC. <laughs> yeah. I remember my there was, favorite. my friend had an Amiga, and uh, <laughs> there was a great game called Ports of Call, in which you, uh, you're a ship, you buy a ship, or a fleet of ships, and you do trade, world trade, going from different ports to different ports, and buying and selling things, and then at the end of the week, you or the end of the month, or whatever, you... You tally it up and see how much money you made. Turns out the most profitable run was selling arms to Karachi. (laughs) (laughs) So Tecmo Bowl is my my new one. 1991 season, Icky Woods running all over over the NFL. (laughs) Wow. That is a way back. So, I've got a team system specialist on the line in, in Mike Azakar, and I have a virtualization specialist in John Cook. What are you guys up to? Uh, well, our goal is to make your test lab obsolete. Oh, nice. Great. Thanks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Exactly. Bring it on. So, <laughs> so it, kind of thinking, and really what we, what John and I have really been thinking about and looking and talking about is thinking about bringing automation into the testing realm, right? Virtualization is used now for a lot of different things, you know, having a server up that you may need to stand up quickly or, or a variety of different things, but it's not really a thought for testing applications. Right. So when you think about kind of the diversity of where you're going to deploy those applications, you know, Windows 98, Windows XP, Windows XP Service Spec 2, Windows Vista, um, you find that it's almost impossible to have that many physical environments stood up and running and waiting for you to use once every couple of months or every couple of weeks or whatever that might be to test your applications on. Now, I always thought that virtualization, that's exactly what it was for, is rather than having one of every piece of hardware, I would just have all these virtual machines of each one of them. Well, and that's and that's true. That's definitely true. But it's really the idea here is putting this into an actual thought-out plan for testing your application. Because you may just have it stood up. You may run things against it. But having those virtual environments and being able to deploy through something like Team Build and test with something like Team Test as well against those virtualized environments really is is taking that testing environment and virtualization and marrying them together. Well, let's pull back and look at things from an even broader perspective. What we're really looking at is the entire system development life cycle. Developers are always talking about agile development, but if you think about it, development is only a part of the system development life cycle. We're looking at the entire SDLC, and we want it to be agile every place it possibly can. So that includes the initial provisioning of the system that the developers will be working in, and after code is delivered, we're looking at agile testing. And those things require virtual machines because hardware just takes too long to go through the procedures of procuring the machines, getting them built, uh, rebuilding them when you're doing your testing. If we have a complete virtual environment for everyone to use throughout the SDLC, then we can do things much faster. Right, and so by agile you mean automated. No, not just automated. Uh, automated for sure, but uh, it's it's more than the automation. It's bringing things to the table that only virtualization is going to do for you. For example, uh, in testing, you need to run a certain case and see what happens, and then you need to run it again. In a physical environment, you might have to re-image the machine, but with virtual machines, you can undo everything you've done and be back uh, at the original state for the price of just uh, however long it takes to boot the machine. Right. You, it, with with a VM and using the, the disk logging mode, then I can, I can just stop it and restart it, and it picks up where it was before I started any of that work. That's correct. Or you could freeze it and pick back up uh, at a later time if you've been if you're out of uh, Jolt Cola and it's late and you want to pick up your session uh, the next day, you can freeze the state of the virtual machine and pick it up right where you left off the next day. Well, I imagine this ability to roll back is wonderful for testing because oh, you can always tremendous. start with a pure environment. Yep. But the, That's why we call it agile testing. And everybody right. knows that all users run in a 100% pure environment. <laughs> Not that you're exactly. being cynical or anything. <laughs> well, and, and that's a good segue into virtual machine manager and and uh, physical to virtual. It's one of the problems. That's a, that's a great uh, issue that you talk about, Carl. Is there's always that one machine in the environment that you install your application on. You know, it's it's the receptionist machine that works for the uh, CEO, who's got some crazy piece of software on there that will not allow your your machine to run. Right. You can use virtual. You can use virtual machine managers, uh, physical to virtual uh, copying abilities, to take that machine and turn it and copy it into a virtual environment. No, wait a minute. Hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Huh? How a little phone? 
You're t- you mean you could take a real machine and turn it into a virtual machine? Absolutely. It's called P to V, physical to virtual. And there are many ways you can do that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a second. Just pause for just a second he, to let my brain soak this in. He's for digesting a this one. <laughs> Mark calling awesome. Come in awesome. <laughs> Mark calling awesome. <laughs> wow. You just blew my mind. I, I Either I had forgotten that or I never heard about it. I can't remember which it is. Richard, have we ever talked about this with Randall? I don't think we've ever Randall? talked about it. I'm aware of it from Run As Radio where we've talked about it. But this is a new feature. This is only as of the 2008 edition, right? Uh, System Center Virtual Machine Manager was just released uh, last week, I believe. So 2007 version. And this feature will be in the product and the future versions as well. Oh, my you God. You can point to um, a physical desktop, laptop, or server. You can even point to other virtual machines. Now, and John, maybe you're not the guy who necessarily knows this, but how the heck does it do that? How's it dealing with the drivers? Magic. It's magic and voodoo, mainly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, all right. All right. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. So, I've got, like, three servers in my data center that I know are just going to keel over and die any day now. And I really don't want to rebuild them. I want to move them to a more stable, more modern machine that's got RAID and on gobs of RAM and all this stuff. I can I can make three different virtual servers out of this and move them one at a time. No problem. Absolutely. No problem. Good God, man, do you know what this means? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Pretty, Show's over. We got to stop. I right got to go. I got, I, I got, I got some, some work stuff to, to do. do. <laughs> Damn. It's pretty good so, stuff. Yeah. Now, now, there, now you know why we're excited. Oh, my God. So are you ready for the big news? Telerik is taking the wraps off four new product updates. Rad controls for ASP.NET. Rad controls for WinForms. The first official version of the Telerik reporting tool. And a brand new suite codenamed Rad Controls Prometheus. And you guys think I don't sleep. Telerik's tools have always been great, but I think this time they've outdone themselves. Well, here are the details. Prometheus is built on top of Microsoft ASP.NET Ajax, and it'll become the successor of Rad Controls for ASP.NET. Just as ASP.NET Ajax will be the future of ASP.NET, Rad Controls Prometheus represents the future direction of all new Telerik development tools. This new suite of controls will also pave the way for seamless integration with Microsoft Silverlight, formerly WPFE. The WinForm suite aims for the stars with powerful new grid, chart, and tree view controls. For me, it seems like a major player on the WinForms market. Another intriguing addition to Telerik's portfolio this spring is Telerik Reporting, The product introduces a new level of development experience, which Telerik collectively calls Easeability, a naturally intuitive mouse-only approach to generating Windows, Web, and PDF reports. And if that's not enough, go to www.telerik.com to check out what's new with Telerik's renowned RAD controls for ASP.NET. The question you asked about drivers is a good question. If you look at other means that you could use to accomplish physical to virtual conversion, you may very well have a problem with drivers. I have this one reference machine at a client. It is the only physical machine I failed to ever do a physical to virtual conversion on. Wow, it actually failed. But not the System Center Virtual Machine Manager. It uh, Pointed it to that particular physical machine. 20 minutes later, I had a virtual copy of that physical machine that I was unable to convert by all the other techniques and tools that I tried. Oh, interesting. So, I mean, there because there are other products out there that do this sort of thing. They've been around for a while. That's right. And some of them work sometimes. I'm thinking of, uh, what was it, Invertus? Uh I don't know that they've got a converter. They have a tool that makes the size of a dynamically expanding uh, hard disk smaller. But I, I also got a, don't they have a disk imaging as well? I think they have a disk imaging 
I don't know their full product line. Okay, well, and, and be that as it may, the bottom line is it's a challenging thing, and and especially for the scenario you're describing, where I have a a, a recalcitrant uh, user's machine that is not running my app for whatever reason or is crashing for some reason. I need that to machine the image that I take of it to be as identical as possible so that I can reproduce the condition. That's correct. So it's got to leave those drivers in place because odds are the problem is driver-related. Well, now, driver-related, that that brings up uh, an issue that, you know, if you're trying to track down a physical driver problem that's specific to hardware, you're not going to have... You know, maybe the physical to virtual is is not going to be the tool that you need for tracking down a driver problem. Right. It's going to help you when you have a, a DLL problem, um, registry settings, something that's really in the software of the machine yeah. that will faithfully reproduce that into the virtual environment. So, by your implication there, it's entirely possible that the that the virtual version of that guy's machine would run the app just fine, and then I have a hint that it's a driver problem. That's correct. That's but I've exactly found right. that the the real world cases that I've run into, there has been some soft configuration of the machine that's been the problem. So you know, it gets back to yes, that's a standard desktop, but you know, it really doesn't quite fully meet the corporate standard. And there's just one little difference in it that creates a problem. And, you know, I've had success with the virtual machine faithfully reproducing the problem I was trying to track down. Right. A permissions variation or a, something's exactly. garbled in the registry or you know, something like that. Sure. Exactly. Okay, but this exactly. is a specific case of testing. This is going out and dealing with the the end user that's got a problem. If we're getting back to the real test case, like I'm thinking studio for testers with virtualization, uh, what are we trying to do with virtualization there? Because I've already, I'm already able to build my virtual machines, configure them and so forth with all the different test platforms that I might work from. Uh, what's new? What does, what does studio tester do for me? Well, that, so that's a very good, good segue. I guess you could say, but, so test, the, the team test editions are going to let you um, deploy and test again, or build is going to let you do this, but your, your team tests are going to let you test against those virtual environments. So I grabbed that secretary's machine, that receptionist machine, I put it up in a virtual environment. I want to run my automated test against that machine and see what actually is going on with that with that individual uh, environment and see, see what I can, see if I can actually get it to fail any of my tests. Right. So this is about um, automated testing against a virtual machine. Exactly. Now, exactly. how am I going to do that? Well, with Virtual Machine Manager, and I'm going to steal some of John's uh, thunder because I've actually been listening to him talk for, about this for a little while, but Virtual Machine Manager is kind of an extension of virtual server. So you, you grab that virtual environment, you, you put it up in Virtual Machine Manager. It's running in virtual server behind the scene, and then you can connect to that as if, you were, as if this were a physical machine. Right, so putting it out there and having it all set up, you can actually drop the bits onto that with team build or uh, test against it with team test directly, whatever you might need to do there to kind of close the loop on the on the automated portion of that. Does that make sense? Okay, so somehow Studio Test is able to communicate with the virtual machine, start it, load the new app on it, and then run automated tests. Well, yeah, and we're, we're kind of blurring a little bit. So Team Build will do the, the uh, deployment of it. Virtual Machine Manager is still a little bit too slow yet, I think, to be able to completely provision that virtual environment. So you wouldn't want to build your application and then start off the build of the virtual environment. But as you get ready to go to your – you're ending your iteration, you're going into testing and deployment. Uh, you, one of your steps there would be to request a clean virtual environment or to go back to a specific checkpoint on a virtual server someplace so that you can then test against that and deploy against it or whatever you might need to do. Uh, well, and it's kind of a good, a good lead into kind of how we talked about, uh, with the virtual machine manager, there are templates and, um, 
help me out here, uh, John, templates. And there are hardware like profiles and there are templates, and the templates are can be based on an existing virtual machine, and we have the ability to clone virtual machines. Right. Now, and, and but uh, there's something I need to point out here that uh, with the virtual machine manager, the virtual server, virtual PC model changes somewhat in a way that I think you'll find rather useful. You're familiar with undo disks for virtual server and virtual PC. Right. With the virtual machine manager, undo disks are supported, but they're not the preferred way of doing things. Uh, the intended best use of the virtual machine manager is to change to using snapshots so that you have multiple versions of your virtual machine. You could, say, take your base virtual machine. You could apply version 1 of your application, take a snapshot, apply the patch to version 1, take a snapshot, install version 2 of your application, and take a snapshot. So you have particular points which you can go back to if you determine that you know one of your particular changes is a bad change you can you don't have to roll all the way back to the beginning you can roll back to particular snapshots right so you could try and decide if is this thing now breaking because of that patch or some other install and so forth correct and you have um, more granularity there than you had with just the one level of undo disk now, we record, when we started off talking about virtualization, we were going into, you know, running DOS and Win98 and things like that. And this is not relevant to this particular scenario because all these apps are .NET-based apps. So it's only fairly recent versions of Windows that can run it anyway. Correct. Yeah. But the reason I would want to do this is that I'm trying to run this app in the environment that my company uses. And there might be more than one of them. In fact, it's almost certainly more than one of them. So I'm imagining I have machines that the accounting floor uses. I have the salespeople's laptops. There's these different configurations. They're standardized, but there's multiple versions. Oh, and, correct. And you want to have a copy of each one so you can you can do a proper regression test with the app in that environment. That's right. And in that situation where you have multiple machines for different departments, you would have a template for each one of those departments. Okay. And you could make as many copies based on one of those templates as you need for your testing. And I can and also see that as time went by and you found certain areas where the app consistently had problems, you would, as Mike said, snap a copy of that particular machine, that secretary's machine, as a test case, because if it works yep. there, it's going to work anywhere. That's correct. That's exactly right. And what uh, to give you just a rough idea of what a template is, since this is audio only, if you think back to when you're installing Windows, there are a limited number of inputs that you make. You have time zone, machine name, network settings, a few things that you enter in during the OS installation. When you create a template, you can specify those inputs that you would enter in if you were installing an OS uh, from scratch. So all those particular settings are what goes into a template along with which version of the OS? Yes. But it's not actually an image of the OS, it's just all of the settings. It's the settings and the uh, virtual hard disk that contains the the OS and the installed applications for uh, a particular desktop or laptop configuration. And i got to think that memory and network and stuff like that all comes into play as well. They all come into play as well. But only an 8-megabyte video card. <laughs> well, there's some limitations there. Well, you know, that, that was my contribution to this show so far. <laughs> <laughs> You're still getting past the whole P to V thing, aren't you? I'm, I just can't stop thinking about what I'm going to do with that. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I mean, that's all I need to know. Thanks very I'm much. Solved. I'm out of here. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that's good about the P to V is, in the real world, developers 
in the infrastructure people don't always get along. No. Yeah, it's it. it <laughs> I know it, it's kind of shocking, but it, it happens sometimes. Oh, you're talking crazy talk. Yeah. <laughs> um, and with the P to V, I've found that I don't really need to be concerned about the infrastructure people as much. Right. If they won't deploy a standard build into a virtual machine, that's okay. I'll point to one of the physical machines that is the standard build, and in a reasonable amount of time, I'll have a virtual copy of it. Yeah, I guess you're right. You don't have to get them to give it to you. You just go get one. That's right. Anything they've deployed, you can snap a copy of. That's correct. I, I do have a question, actually. Okay. Uh, the virtual machine manager, which is, I think, the thing that does the physical to virtual, yes. right? This is going to work on a 64-bit platform as well as uh, and, and on a server. I mean, the virtual PC and virtual server have always been two different products. Are they sort of merging now? Uh, we'll be able to convert a 32-bit uh, server. You have to remember that at this point, virtual server, although there is a 64-bit version of yeah. of it and a 64-bit version of virtual PC, they only support 32-bit guests. Really what I'm interested in is is the host machine running a 64-bit server OS oh, and okay. then because it's got access to more memory, right? Oh, sure, yeah. And then running, so then I can run more, I can put more RAM in it and I can run more server images. Oh, yes, absolutely. I always recommend a 64-bit OS or your virtual server platform. Yeah. It runs it so much better. It's amazing. RAM and, is good. So, and isn't this a, this is a server 2008 as well, right? It works targeted for server 2008 as well, right, John? Uh, there will be an update to the virtual machine manager when Windows Server virtualization is released next year. Okay. Which is part of the Windows 2008 edition. That is correct. But as it is, I mean, the reality is you can only P to V 32-bit systems because only 32-bits can be guests inside a virtual server. That is correct. So that That's the only limitation, which is only really a pain when you have to deal with Exchange. Uh, that's right. Yeah, Exchange 2007 is 64-bit only, so you're in trouble. Or well, you're using and some well, other virtual product. Hmm. We'll we'll stay tuned on this uh, topic uh, and have to revisit it next year. Yeah, I'm sure they're going to address that sooner or later. Well, you know, the, I got to bring up VMware because I I was just at a function today where a Microsoft uh, evangelist. He wasn't he didn't work for Microsoft, but a guy who is you know he's an MVP and so well respected in the community. And he's basically saying he can't, he, you know, that VMware is so much better than VPC and they have the leg up right now and probably the next version of VPC will play catch up. So, you know, there is a that the reality of VMware, you know, running faster, running better, I guess, than VPC now. What is that true? And, you know, what do you guys what do you guys like about VMware that you plan to um, incorporate into VPC or, you know, what's the difference? Why, 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 do we, why do we care about that? Well, a couple of thoughts on that. Well, first of all, Microsoft's future direction with virtualization is to switch to hypervisor technology mm-hmm. called Windows Server Virtualization, which is part of 64-bit Windows Server 2008. And this will be available next year. This approach will cut out the uh, some of this emulation that's currently present in virtual server and give you a leaner, meaner, better performing virtualization stack. Because virtualization will be built right into the core of the OS. That's that's uh, basically correct. It will be able to better take advantage of the hardware and take maximum advantage of the hardware extensions that are currently shipping in AMD and Intel processors. So are we talking about like a VPC.sys at ring zero or something? Um, Serious hardcore low-level stuff? 
I was talking to someone from Intel about this, and he said it was like ring minus one. And I said, oh. okay, this is this is beyond what my comprehension. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we better invite some hardware person in to set, I mean, set us straight. That's a pretty good way to describe it. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, we're underneath all of this. And, and I mean, maybe we're a little off base on a .NET show, but I understand that virtualization is so important that Intel and AMD are adding features to their processors for virtualization. Exactly. And Windows Server virtualization will take full advantage of that, as does Virtual Server 2005 R2 and Virtual PC 2007. If you have uh, virtualization enabled in your BIOS, which many machines don't come with it enabled in the BIOS, and you have the checkbox set in Virtual PC or Virtual Server, you can get an additional performance gain by taking advantage of these processor extensions. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Developer Express. Developer Express, crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com. Richard brings up the point about, you know, what's in it for developers. I mean, it should be obvious, but developers are a hard nut to crack in terms of virtualization. You know, we want our, you know, ultimate performance, whatever. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it feels like we're cheating if we're inside a, a VM, but it's getting damn hard to ignore, especially... I mean, I run I run XP64 on my main box, and I have a dual boot with Vista, which I'm still trying to get running, but um, that's another story. <laughs> um, but a Vista 64, my ultimate machine would be uh, Vista 64-bit, you know, with 16 gigs of RAM and just dozens of virtual PCs open to do the stuff. Even I, I even have a, a friend who has a, you know, now, now like your friends and family have machines that are more powerful than they know what to do with. You know yeah. what I mean? They're, they're getting so cheap and so big, like two gigs of RAM is just not even a problem for most people anymore. And so what... I tell them, you know, they're, they're like running up against spyware and all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, just run it in a virtual PC, run your browser in a virtual PC and roll it back when you're done. You know, you can avoid all that problem. It's a great way to go. Now, the thing that the developers should be excited about is being able to manage their virtual assets using a virtual machine manager. Because one thing you quickly see, you start using virtual machines, you can't live without them. And then you say, oh, my gosh, how am I going to manage these things? Right. What <laughs> file is that again? Yeah. And so you, you, need, to, you need to have some tools that will help you out. Now, getting back to the VMware thing, next year, well, I don't know if it's going to be next year, but a future version of the Virtual Machine Manager is going to support and manage not just Microsoft virtualization products, but also... Zen and VMware. Wow. Interesting. New, new, we're seeing the products collide here. They're all, I, I was actually poking around the VMware site while we were talking and realizing VMware's got their own P2V converter and it reads virtual PC format too. <laughs> and there's V2V in the virtual machine manager, which will convert from VMware to Microsoft's. Mm-hmm. virtualization format. Okay, you mentioned Zen. What is that? It's uh, an open source type of uh, virtualization product. I'm not, uh, I don't have any real world experience with it, but it is gaining some degree of mind share. It, it's a Linux oriented product, right? Running uh, virtual machines on Linux, which VMware will also do. But it's open source and designed around multiple OSs. It's just another virtual uh, machine product. Okay. So, Carl, you asked a couple minutes ago about uh, the features of VMware that, that John and I like a lot. Yeah. One of those features was um, in a product that was called a Kimby Slingshot. A what? Uh, it was called a Kimby Slingshot. A Kimby? A Kimby Slingshot. VMware bought them. 
uh, about a year and a half ago. And what Akinbi does it, or did or, or is now part of the VM product is it's exactly what Virtual Machine Manager does. And they had a more robust kind of here is a safe state of a virtual machine. Put that up into the library someplace and, and make it available for a developer or somebody to go and pull that out and see what this machine looks like at a given state. So they had kind of a bug tracking feature uh, there inside of Akimbi, and it was part of that product that VMware absorbed. And when John and I were looking at this, I guess we've been talking about this for about a year and a half now, and we were looking at it then, that was our biggest kind of wow when we saw that. And that's kind of really got our, what got the wheels rolling for us. Mm. But being able to grab those safe states and move those around, um, if you think about what what is a major issue for a developer when, when they get a bug from a tester? Being able to reproduce the bug, right? Totally about reproducing yeah. the bug. Right. First of all, knowing what the heck the tester's talking about, right? And then being able to reproduce it once you do. Well, if I can grab a safe state off of a virtual machine and give that to the developer as a tester, there's no guesswork anymore. Right. So the testers are using virtual machines for everything. So the moment they have that bug, they can almost just freeze in place and say, here, look at this. Well, I think it, I would think that it demands a lot of upfront work in making these images. You know, Office 2003, Office 2007, no Office, uh, this program, that program, things that are installed. Um, or just having a, you know, a base like that and then being able to ask the customer, you know, what, what other applications have you installed and what versions? Maybe you could even go out and install those programs before you test. Do you, well, do, you do you find that's uh, something that happens a lot? Well, yeah, and not, not only that, but with, with VM, with Virtual Machine Manager, um, you also can give the testers the ability to create their own virtual machine configuration. Or anybody, developers or testers, either one. Right. There's a self-service portal, and you can uh, put people in groups and give different permissions and rights to the various groups. People can go into the web interface, and they can request their own virtual machine based on a particular template. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, and, and we're talking a little bit earlier about um, kind of the checkpoints and application version one, application version two, and, and kind of adding those in and saving off the virtual machine. Well, well, the idea there is that you're building up a library of virtual machines of, of different states. You have your XP versions, you'll have your Vista versions, and you have whatever those different combinations are, Office 2003, Office 2007, and what have you. Well, but you're also building out a library of ISOs to build these things out. So you're going to have right. ISOs for your office stuff, for your XP, for your Vista, right? So the idea is once those are all stored in the library, you're just pe- putting those pieces together. Oh, neat. Kicking off and running that and, and either putting that virtual machine into that library that you have that's ever growing or putting some pieces together and making something new that you know, may or may not stick as far as... So you can literally say, I want to start with XP Service Pack 2 and then add Office 2007 and then add, uh, you know, uh, whatever, add Aware and Notepad 2 or any of these things that you want that you have ISOs for are are installable things, and it will just go ahead and create the image for you? Exactly. Well, if it... You need to, you know, take a look at what kind of application you're trying to install if it yeah. is uh if it comes with an unattended installer sure no problem you can script it all out but mm. if you have an application that you have to click through to get it fully installed sure. you're still going to have to click through sure right. but it, most of that stuff has answer files now most of the applications at least on the windows side microsoft side have answer files that you can just supply all of the stuff that's what's an need. answer file uh, it, it's basically like that uh, configuration file that we were talking about earlier, um, where a profile file. It's basically the answers to all of the wizard questions that pop up as as it's installing. Oh, it's Mark Miller's install buddy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. He made this joke. Mark Miller, who's a you know crazy, he made this joke about a software product he's going to have called Install Buddy that goes ahead and just clicks the next button for you. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. 
That'd be great. <laughs> Preferably yeah. while you're sleeping. Right. <laughs> exactly. And the ironic thing is that the installer for the install buddy has about 20 pages that you have to click next through. <laughs> and the number one the number one tech support question is can I use install buddy to install install buddy <laughs> there should be a script for that <laughs> oh, sorry I digress no problem so let's talk seriously about kind of the testing tools too because sure. we talked about it a little bit early on but the automated testing within your system today, um, you, you're really only getting unit testing and, and web testing. And that when I when I go out and I talk about uh, team system to groups that are doing um, WinForms apps, it's really a short conversation usually. Uh, but even there's there's people that complain about you know in unit versus team test and, and what have you all all these different things, right? And I think that when you're looking at some of these tools, the, the, the biggest reason why you would want to go with team test and uh, for unit testing or web testing today, uh, if you're using your source control in, in TFS and you're tracking your work items in TFS and you're doing your builds with team build, is the fact that I can do testing, right, whether it be on my local machine, on my virtual machine, or on a build server, whatever that is, and I can get those metrics out of the test, and they actually go someplace, right? Most of the tests, you, you, you go and you build in Excel or in Word or, or whatever those things are. You go on, you, you, you have your developers or your testers, they go through these spreadsheets or these Word documents, checking off checkboxes, making notes on things. They may create bugs off of that. But then that test case that was run is, is gone, right? That data is never collected and, and, and recorded. Uh, being able to track that from build to build, and whether using virtualization or not, it's a it's a big deal today. And down the road, Microsoft is pumping a ton of money into um, testing the testing space in general. Um, and, and even in the CTP, the Rosario CTP, which is you know 2009-2010 timeframe, um, you're seeing more test case management. Uh, there's a push towards actually taking a small footprint test client and putting it out on machines so that you can actually do manual testing and connect from that machine that you're manually testing on back to TFS and record the results directly. So, and then there's some other stuff, and there's some NDA stuff that we can't, that we can't talk about yet, but there's some really neat stuff that's coming down the pipeline in probably CTP 10, uh, which will be out in a couple of months, where they're, they're really kind of reshape and refine or re, re, uh, redefine how testing is done in the Microsoft space. So, I, I think getting in now is great because you have that continuity of data, right? But down the road, you're going to see that Microsoft is going to raise the bar as far as testing is concerned for all applications. And really what we're after here is that fully automated test that here's the five platforms this app's going to run on. Go deploy the new version of the app and make sure it installs properly and passes its tests with no direct human interaction. And it just comes back with a report that says it failed to install on platforms one and three. It completed installations on two, four, and five, but five it crashes on. It gets an error here and here. So that you're, you're sort of capturing all of that. I mean, the big problem I have with most testing still, anything other than unit testing really, is that you're largely dependent on the tester accurately recording the conditions at the point of failure. Right. Yeah, and, and you know, and that's, that's exactly right. And, and recording where it happens and then actually getting some valuable metrics between test cycles is a big thing as well. You're still, and you're always going to want to have some level of exploratory testing where you've got a, a power user or somebody that knows the application really well and goes down and tries to break stuff, right? But all regression testing should really be automated because you, you, you can't reproduce it. And exactly what you said, you just can't reproduce that consistently every time. Yeah, and i got to think one of the biggest regression tests that you're after is successful installs on the new platform. Right, and one of the ways you're going to accomplish the successful install 
is you'll have it scripted using PowerShell. The Virtual Machine Manager comes with all of these new commandlets for working with Virtual Server. So any task that you're going to need to do for provisioning a new virtual machine and installing something into it will be done with PowerShell. Right. So the ability to pick up a clean virtual machine that, say, hasn't got the app installed at all and try what a scratch install looks like, or pick up a virtual machine that has the last version installed and do the update and then compare results. Correct. And then for, for web applications, you just use team build. You set up some shares that are locked and, and you dump you dump the stuff out there on the server, whatever your, your website or your server-based application there as well. So you don't PowerShell works in some scenarios and you can others you can just copy it right out there because it is you know dot net. Right. Of course I'm a, I'm I'm totally fixated on Windows apps for some reason today. I don't know why. The deployment of a of a dot net or an ASP dot net application, now you're just talking about a farmer server is still an issue. Still needs good testing. But it is a, a probably fewer templates. True, yeah, true. And then you you really when you, when you simplify that installation of, of the application, your focus can then become on putting the right scenarios, data wise or configuration wise, in place to test it out. Right. So it, it's really when you have to when you take some of that that legwork and and guesswork out of that makes it a whole bunch easier to focus on what you're actually trying to accomplish. Right. You know, we were talking about video memory at the beginning of uh, of the show, and I, too, agreed with Richard, which was when he made the point, um, you know, what do you need the video memory for? And now it occurs to me that you really can't do arrow glass in virtual PC today on Vista. And if you're trying to debug any kind of Vista UI stuff or WPF that involves glass, are you out of luck? Um, maybe. There, Ben Armstrong did write about that. He said that he had success using remote desktop and he was able to get Arrow, but I think that it may be easier said than done. Yeah, okay. So he's the only guy who could make it work. Isn't no. supported, though, currently, and no, really no plans because they're... You know the 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 feature to expand video memory isn't isn't really on the priority list. It sounds like. Well, I yeah, don't I, know what the plans might be in Windows Server virtualization. That's very hush hush. So, right. You know, stay tuned. We'll see if anything changes. Okay. Well, yeah, I I would add a plus one to that request list. That that'd be a great certainly feature. enough memory to te- to consistently run. Uh, glass. I think that's, yeah. that's really going to be an issue for people who are trying to test apps in a serious way. And I, I know that WPF from a testing standpoint is, is on the, is on the testing, uh, feature list for the product group. So make that happen. Yeah. 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 Well, and it sounds like when you get down to ring minus one, it might not be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so we're updating the microcode inside the processor here. Yeah. If you can do that, you can do, you know, more than eight gigs, eight megs of RAM. Yeah. This might be a little off topic, but John, just the, the fact that you're a SQL guy as well as a virtualization guy, uh, for my own personal edification, what's your thoughts around virtualization of SQL Server? Well, I'm all in favor of it. <laughs> and the reason I'm in favor of it is not for production, but for all these CTPs and beta releases of SQL Server that they release. That oh, yeah. SQL Server is why I actually got into virtualization in a big way. When the SQL Server 2005 beta came out, I said, I'm not rebuilding a physical machine again. Yeah. yeah. I think you could expand that recommendation, John, to any beta software should exactly. be run in a virtual machine. What, are you kidding me? <laughs> and one of the areas that I used virtualization with SQL Server was for doing patching, where I'd take a snap of the current production data set, and then I'd run the uh, patching script for the alterations and make sure it really worked. And it wasn't so much that you can't do, that it's impossible to do that otherwise, because you can do it with backups and so forth, but that the undo disks were so much faster to get back to the state to try and run the patch again. 
Exactly, and I've done the same thing. It's very useful for that. Some people are running production SQL servers on virtual server. And the people who are doing that and are very happy with it and are very successful with it are running relatively small database applications on rather powerful hardware. Right. And it's working out well for them. The folks that I talk to that are heavily involved with SQL Server just have the sense that they can't afford the overhead of virtualization. Performance if, if you have a transaction processing system for a major bank, that would not be a great candidate for virtualizing SQL Server. I would say any any production SQL Server box you don't want to run virtualized. Well, I know several that are, but again, they're they're small databases. And the disk resources and hardware resources are way in excess of what's needed, and the user communities aren't seeing any problems. Yeah, the performance isn't the issue. You know, one of the places where I've seen virtualization crop up a lot lately is cleaning out old machines. That app that was written in VB5 that's running on NT4 with SQL 6.5, and nobody knows anything about it, and the hardware, you know, literally wheezes, and you and you don't know what to do, right? Like, <laughs> any moment that drive's going to die, even if we have a backup, we can't get hardware like that anymore. When nobody understands this app. So the fact that I can P to V it and run it in a virtual machine that takes up less than a gig. So the drive spins up, it goes... <laughs> Uh, my my favorite experience of those was a set of they were two gigabyte three quarter height three and a half inch uh, SCSI hard drives that had not been off in eight years. Wow! And the, and we backed the whole thing up and then we powered the machine down. And as we powered it down, you could hear the bearing seize in the drive. So wow. it would slow down, slow down, and these were 5,400 RPM drives. Slow down, it would hit about, you get down to under 1,000 RPM, and most of the drives would suddenly go, ah, and you knew they were never going to turn again. <laughs> and they run so hot, they had warped the cases that they were in. It's amazing they, had, they still ran. But as long as they were running, they were fine. As soon as they cooled down, all the bearings changed shape, and they weren't hard drives anymore. They were paperweights. <laughs> well, I have really wow. good news for you, this P to V tool is an online P2V tool so those old machines can stay up and running while you do that P2V. You never want to turn those things off. Just Definitely snap them not. and keep going. So when you say it's an online, meaning that the server that's running that you're making a copy of or virtualization of can run up until the minute that you switch them over, the second. Uh, well, what happens is that you're going to, uh, through the virtual machine manager, remotely install an agent, a P2V agent, on the target machine that you're going to do the conversion on. And it will uh, copy the machine into the virtual environment and then remove the P2V agent from the target machine. Now, the target machine is the one that you're virtualizing? The physical machine that you're converting. Okay. I just would think of that as the source machine, I guess. Call it the source machine. That would probably be more accurate to say. We know what you mean. All right. Well, John, Mike, we're coming down to the end of the show. Let me ask you a question, um, and you can take turns answering. John, I guess I'll ask you first. You've seen a lot of machines. You've seen a lot of setups. You've seen a lot of uh, uh, bad architecture. What was something, and you don't have to name names, but give me the most heinous, screwed up, uh, backward, untouchable kind of uh, thing that you've ever seen. The craziest story you've ever, that you could tell from this industry. Oh, I've seen so many. Where would I begin? Would it, uh, so it could be any vendor, Anything. Any, any any point in history, I suppose. Oh. Something story worthy. It would take more than the five minutes that we have. Okay. <laughs> that bad. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> How about you, Mike? Uh, for me, I think it's a tie. 
between the source code for Skype Server 3.0. Oh, nice. Go straight to the Microsoft product. And, yeah, when I saw the dictionary objects inside the source code, the, the original ASP source code, I was horrified. Uh, and there was an SOA, early web service thing I did a couple of years ago, came in after it had already been architected. And they were same database, different tables, and it was partitioned with web services so that if I wanted to pull data out of a certain area, I had to pull out the two web service calls, interlace the data together with the, the data set and return that back, even though it was SQL Server, the same exact physical database, same physical servers. Yeah, what's uh, SOA about that? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I lost a lot of hair in that uh, couple of years that I worked on. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, if we're going to send the listeners off to start taking advantage of this uh, automation with virtual uh, PC and virtual server and uh, studio tester, uh, where should they be going? Uh, hit, uh, hit my blog. There's some good, there's some good information out there. Um, getting the virtual machine manager website, uh, as well. I think if you search for virtual machine manager, you'll find that and you get an idea of what that's all about. We'll put the and, links up on the page. Yeah, you bet. Uh, and then just, just getting in and starting to, uh, see how it all works and playing with it. See what I would suggest. Okay. John Cook, Mike Azokar, thank you very much for sharing your time with us and your expertise today. It's been a pleasure. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Plop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got transmitter bands by the FCC.